Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. As you're turning, uh, the prophet Isaiah has been referenced as the Shakespeare of prophets. His historical prophetic work spans uh, over approximately 53 years, and he was called by God to spiritually lead Judah under the rule of four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He comes on the scene, he comes into a divided country, uh, ten northern tribes and two southern. Uh, both Judah and Benjamin are the southern. The northern tribes, if you remember, were taken uh, and defeated by Assyria and assimilated. And uh, they say today that there are very few, if any, Jews that can put their heritage back to the northern tribes. Uh, so he is in uh, the southern tribes at this time. And he is preaching to a people that are rebellious. They've heard the word all their life. And they're sick of it. They're tired of it. They're rebellious people. And, uh, and so you're going to find out in this passage, maybe many of you have been in it before, but you're going to find out that uh, uh, his, his end of his preaching isn't really successful, or at least it's successful on one end, but would be counted as a failure by us. Let's read. The sixth chapter, it says in uh, Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell the people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the hearts of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left des deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remain in the land, it will again be laid waste. But the tibereth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to the Lord. Yes, thank you. Let's go to the Lord and ask him for, uh, for revelation. Heavenly Father, we come in the light of this word 
This word that is truer beyond the speaker, truer beyond the hearer, truer beyond all those who are driving by us right now, not even caring about your name. This word is true, and the exactness of it is the fact that everything you've written in it will come true. And so that's why we're in the Old Testament, Father, to see that it did and it will. And so our hearts are open, Father, whether young or old, whether been in church for a long time or not, and pray that, Father, that we will hear your voice and that, Lord, our hearts will be warmed by your truths. We love you and we thank you. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. And so this Shakespearean author is speaking to a people that are rebellious. And I, as, as I was thinking about this, um, how do you know a people um, have an exterior of religion but have no relationship with the true God? How do you know that? I find it interesting that Isaiah, um, his commissioning is, is, is five books into his, into his work already. He's been working. And in his writing, he exposes the things that he was seeing in the people at that time. And so we're going to take a journey together. So keep your finger in six. But we're going to go back to Isaiah 1. And we're just going to take a very quick look through uh, some verses that he wrote uh, as he began to look at this rebellious nation. The first thing he comes to, and look at uh, chapter 1, 2 through 3. It says, Hear you heavens, listen earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Now this is interesting, listen to this. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner, owner's manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. The first sign of rebellion is that rebellion equals no longer knowing God. No longer caring about knowing God. No, no longer seeking and hungering after knowing God. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. There is a war going on in your life and in mine to take away the knowledge of God and replace it with other knowledge. And it's a war. And that's what was happening in Isaiah's day also. The second one is Isaiah 12, um, oh, excuse me, Isaiah 1, 12 through 13. Listen to this. It says, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbath, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. The second sign of a rebellious, uh, a rebellious people is when worship becomes something that's a waste of your time. That is just something that you do. Because, well, that's what you've done all your life. Or mom and dad say, I have to come. It's a sign of a rebellious people with what we're doing in here becomes some second, second in our life. Worshiping Jesus Christ should be number one. But a rebellious people is come second. Third, 
go with Isaiah, uh, to Isaiah 2, verse 6. It says this, You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. Now listen, they are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. The third the third reason, uh, or show, uh, the third show of a, uh, a rebellious people is that religious practices are filled with syncretism, the mixing of many beliefs. Psalm 106, uh, 35 through 36 says, but they mingle with the nations and adopt their customs. They worship their idols, which become a snare to them. When cultural belief starts taking over the church, we are on a slippery slope. Fourth, Isaiah 2, 22. Go to the 22nd uh, verse of that chapter. Listen to this. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? When the fear of man becomes more than the fear of God, we're moving into rebellion. Psalm 146, 3 through 4 says this. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. And then finally, the last one before we get to, um, to, our, to our chapter today. Um, Isaiah 5, 20 through 21. 20 through 21. And I think that you guys, if, if, if we were Baptists, we'd probably all say oh, amen to this one. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Turning wrong to right is a sign of a nation that's rebellious against God. When... This is a crazy. I, I told my I told my church this morning. They, they gasped. Do you know that that math is um, from white supremacists? I had a math teacher in church today, and she almost gasped. Yep, it is. So, what are they doing? They're changing math. Two plus two is now going to equal three. Because hey, we have to be inclusive to everybody. Now, you think that's crazy, but what's going on today, people? What is going on in our nation? This is ridiculous. Wrong is right. Right is wrong. Truth is stumbling in the street. Honesty is hardly anywhere to be found anymore. Rebellious people. And this is exactly what, uh, what Isaiah was experiencing. And quite honestly, I think to myself, as we now go to chapter 6, I think to myself, so Isaiah has been called by God to do this, and yet is he kind of, is he himself kind of coming underneath this? Is he being affected by this? Is he, um, is he being challenged? And is chapter 6 so important even in his own life? You know, we have, we have, a, lot of, we have a lot of trouble going on. Does it, anybody besides me think that sometimes it just seems to be getting harder? It, it, I don't know what, maybe I'm just getting older, I'm seeing things different, but it just seems like it's getting harder. I mean, it's harder for you to buy groceries, isn't it? I mean, I couldn't, like, in the last year, can you believe what the prices have done? I just, it's just amazing. It just seems to be getting harder. And um, 
You know, I think that Isaiah, as well as ourselves, need to hear the, the Spirit of the Lord say, will you trust me now, even in this time? Will you hear what Jesus Christ said in John 16, that I have told you these things so that in me you have, may have peace? In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so as we approach chapter 6, um, and I love it that we're doing it at night. I'll try to not go past midnight, but we'll, I just, I feel a freedom. I was telling the whole trips, I said, maybe I should cut my message down because of all the songs. And oh, I won't say what you said. But anyways, um, <laughs> but I just, you know, I, I, I hope that you feel a freedom to just want to hear from God. I don't like just hearing my voice. But, I mean, I think that God wants to speak to us tonight. And so, as we focus on this passage, there's three questions I want to answer. First, how does God awaken a heart, a hardened religious heart? How does he do that? Second, how does the atonement change everything? And third, what is the effect of the atonement on man, on us? When I talk about religion here, when I talk about um, the, the fact that they were religious people, Israel was religious people, you know that it basically what it, they had done is they had taken religion and had put it in the image of man instead of the image of God. And they tried to make God what they wanted him to be instead of who he was. And aren't we doing that today in so many places? In so many places. And so in this light of rebellion... Here comes chapter 6, and it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. And if you're, if you're not a biblical student, you're going to read that and go, oh, okay, another one bites the dust. Oh, no. No, listen to me. How many years did King Uzziah lead Israel? Anybody know? It was it, up. More. Anybody know? Yeah, who said that? Woo! Bible student in the room. Thank you, girl. Yes. 52 years under his rule. Um, and you can find it in 2 Chronicles 26. Um, he started when he was 16 years old. And I mean, he just, it, it was an amazing thing. It says that he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As listen, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Amazing. War success over Philistine, over the Arabs, over the Ammonites. He built an army of over 300,000 men. And he, weaponry and artil uh, artillery that rivaled the modern-day uh, weaponry. I mean, it was just an amazing thing. And in verse 15 and 16 of that chapter, it says that, his fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Now, does anybody know what he did? You can't answer this one. I see it in your eyes. Does anybody know what he did? Yes! Woo! That's right. That's right. A king was not allowed by the law of God to do a sacrifice. But because of his pride, King Uzziah went in the temple and he, he offered a sacrifice. And the Lord came against him and he was struck with what? Leprosy. Yeah. 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 
and he died. He died. Now, I want you to think about it. Um, 52 years of ruling. He, was, he brought peace to Israel. All of a sudden, dead. Whoa. You think that changed the country? Absolutely. That shook the country. That shook the country. And, uh, and so, one of the things, one of the points I want you to remember is that sometimes God uses tragedy to waken our stubborn hearts. I don't know the size of this room and the things that you're going through right now, but God uses tragedy to waken us up. Have you ever asked the question, why? Why does that happen? It's because it's so easy for us to go to sleep, isn't it? It's so easy for us to just cut caught up in the day-to-day activities and really kind of just almost put God on the shelf and just keep doing what we're doing and forget the fact that he's the one who created us, gave us life, and has us for a purpose on this, in this world. Our family has gone through a tragedy. My oldest daughter divorced our son-in-law. And uh, we went through a, a, just a tragic, tragic time in which we, uh, for about a year, um, I mean, we hired private detectives. We followed our daughter to find the truth. We um, confronted her many times in just unwilling, unbending, just, just a hardened heart. And now today our daughter is far away from, our, from us. And so... God wants to awaken us, and I think that we live in an era where the the church needs to be awakened. It needs to be awakened. We need to come before God and realize that we live in a country that's rebelling against God. You know this isn't going to end well, do you? You know this. Any country, every country that has rejected God has always been destroyed. Always. And so... Not only awaken our stubborn hearts by using tragedy, but also awakens us to careless living. I, I define of careless living as this. Living for myself using all my resources for me. God has given us resources, our life, so that we can, we can share his love and his glory with everyone. But if we don't do that, and we become careless and think this life is about us, we're sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. I think of the Apostle Paul, a very religious man, but in, but in fact so religious that he, 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 was shoot, he was shot to the top of the religious Israel 500. But in Acts 9, he was knocked to the ground and blinded by the one who he was persecuting. Nehemiah, or Nahum 1, 3 says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. When you ever ask a question, Lord, why me? Why am I going through this? Ask another question. Lord, show me what you want me to see in this moment about life and about me. The Bible says in Psalm 34 that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Even when he's the one who broke the heart. 
Now, how do we know this is true? How do we know um, that, uh, uh, that, that, that God is coming to Isaiah and that it's, he is trying to waken up Isaiah himself, but also his nation? It's because he showed Isaiah who he was. Did you see it? It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. The Apostle John in, the chapter, in chapter 12, the 41st verse, said that Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. The, the picture of the pre-incarnate Christ was, was what grabbed the heart of Isaiah and is what, John saw, what, what Isaiah saw and John uh, testified to it. And so, what is it that Jesus wanted Isaiah to see and wants us to see tonight? What do we need to see? The first thing is God's sovereignty. His sovereignty. Look at it. It says that he is high and exalted. Do you believe that Jesus is above everything? That he is truly sovereign over all things? Do you believe that? Do you live like that? The, Isaiah says he is enthroned above the circle of the earth and his people are like grasshoppers. It was uh, in, the, in the New Testament, it was seen by as Jesus walking on the water. He can walk on top of everything you're going through. Do you believe that? I know that among you, uh, there are people that are going through difficult things. Um, I see a brother in, in my mind, I won't point you out, but a brother who's going through some heart issues. Do you believe that God, that Jesus is above your heart issue? Do you believe he's sovereign over top of it? Do you believe that no matter what happens, he knows the day that you started and the day that you will end? And that's a confidence that we can live with every day. We don't have to walk around free because he is high and exalted. But not only high and exalted, but he's, see it? He's seated on a throne. Why is he seated? Because he's not wringing his hands. He's not concerned. He's not pacing around going, I, 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 don't, I don't know what's going on here. I, I, I just, what, what, are these, what are these people doing? He is seated in control right now. And you need to know that. Because I know there are people shaking. I know that there are young people wondering, what in the world's going on in our world today? Our God is in control. He is seated. If you remember from, uh, uh, from the, uh, when he was 12, do you remember that he went into the temple and he was seated teaching? That when it went up on the mountain and taught um, uh, from the mountain, uh, Beatitudes and other things, uh, it, was, it was that he was seated. He's not wringing his hands. Psalms uh, 99.1 says, the Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. One of the verses that have always been, uh, for me, a calming thing about this is Psalm 139.16, that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, now, some people look at that as control. But you know what? The Apostle Paul looked at as power. As the fact that if that's true, then I can live my life abandoned to God 
and I can't fail because he is the one who has written this in his book. And so I can live fully for him. And I just, I think that is beautiful. If you notice that he's sitting on the throne, in Scripture there are five pictures of throne rooms of God. Ezekiel 1, Daniel 7, Revelation 4, Revelation 20, and here. All the same. Why? Because they all saw the same thing. 1,500 years of writing of this book, and all saw the same throne, all saw the same picture. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He does not change, so we will not be destroyed. So our God is beyond description. He's not like anything we have seen. And then I love this, the picture of, of his, the train of his robe filling the temple. We, uh, we just had a death in England. It was uh, Queen Elizabeth, right? How many years did she rule? She ruled for so many years. Do you know the day that she was uh, brought into uh, leadership? And they call that, what do they call that? Coronation. Coronation. They said that the robe of her, as she came into, uh, into the, um, uh, into the uh, church, that the robe never ended in the back when she was in front. It completely went throughout the whole church. And people were awed by that. Do you know what? Our God's robe, Jesus' robe, doesn't just go from the front to the back, but it absolutely fills the whole building. Because he's enough. He's enough. He's everything you need for whatever decision you have right now, whatever you're facing, whether you're a teenager at school or whether you are, um, whether you're uh, somebody looking into getting into a retirement home. He is all you need. <laughs> I won't look at you. You're not going there. <laughs> and he is, and he fills, he fills the room, uh, the room, and so. God uses tragedy to wake us. He shows us his sovereignty to give us peace to endure. And he shows us his power to give clarity to life. It says here in verse 2 and through 4, it says, Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. What a powerful, powerful picture. Notice that the angels were calling. They were not singing. Do you ever get irritated that when, when a song says, and the angels were singing? No, they don't. Why don't the angels sing? Because only the redeemed sing. Only the ones that are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ and their life is changed. We can sing a new song. Angels can't. They're moral beings created by God to do his bidding. And so you, this, this picture of the angels, and, and they've, got, they've got two of their wings over their eyes. Why? Because nobody looks upon God and lives. It's true. And then two of them are covering their feet. Why? Because everyone is dirty before God. Everyone is not as God is. 
And so it's a sign of humility before the holy, holy God of all. And then two of them flapping all the time. Do his bidding. Do it now. Do it right away. People of God, that is not only just a holy picture of heaven, but it is a holy picture of how we should be living. Humble before God. You remember the publican? The one that Jesus said his prayer was answered? Where was his face? When's the last time your face has been in the dirt? When, when's the last time that you have been bowed so below the Lord that you just cried out, I don't deserve this, not earned any of it, I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour. I am so desperate for you, Jesus. So desperate for you. What a great picture. Don't lose that picture. It says that then the doorposts and the thresholds shook. The holiness of God was so great. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, it says that there will be a final shaking. says that at the time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. So the holiness of God is so amazing, and it's shaking the doorposts, shaking the threshold, God, God's spirit, God's holiness is so there, and then it was filled with smoke because he said enough. Isaiah, enough. You can't see anymore. You've seen enough. What I love about my God, there's a verse in Scripture um, that talks about the fact, um, and I think, it's, I think it's Isaiah 42, that when Jesus came to this earth, that he didn't even... He didn't even break a reed over. That he didn't even raise his voice. That's such kindness. He was the God of all creation. He could have snapped a finger and everything would have blown up in front of him. But he was so compassionate and merciful that he came and didn't even bend over a reed. That's our God. That's our God. So, so the, the first thing is the fact that, that he shows us um, his sovereignty. But what is the effect of seeing God for who he is? Now, this is an important thing. Young people, have you seen God? Have you? Have you truly seen who Jesus is? Because I believe that everybody as a believer sees Jesus. No, they don't see him in a form in front of them. But in their soul... They see Jesus Christ. You see Jesus Christ. That's what changes everything. You, the, the, the Bible says this. Some people boast about strength. Other people boast about wisdom. But if you're going to boast, boast about this, that you have been given understanding to know me. No human mind can conceive him. No life can hold him. No, no building 
can, can, can house him. And he chose to reveal himself to you and to me. So what happened to Isaiah? Do you see it in verse 5? Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm a, a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Ruined. Ruined is defined as a complete state of destruction, a place where we come to the end of ourselves and our capacity to fix a situation. Listen, ruin is realizing who we really are and the insufficiency of anything in this physical world to fix us. The word unclean, of course, if you're, if you're a biblical scholar, know that, you, that uh, the lepers uh, who were unclean would have to yell, unclean, unclean, and, and stay four meters away from everybody. And yet, um, and yet in that uncleanness, what this moment said was that, that, the, that something was opened up in Isaiah's eyes that he had not seen before. Jeremiah describes it in the, uh, in the 17th chapter, the ninth verse, this way. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can understand it. I, the Lord, search the heart, examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what they deserve. And so in this moment, Isaiah says, heart is opened up to the reality of who he is. He comes to realize that he's ruined in of himself. He realized that, that there's nothing on this earth that can heal him. And he says, I'm ruined. And I live, I, I'm unclean. My lips are unclean. And I live among a people of uncle, that are unclean. David said it this way, for I know my transgressions and my sin are always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is not a low self-esteem issue, but honesty before God. There's two ruins. Ruined by the world is a deception that takes you throughout all eternity. You're ruined by what the world says it can offer you. And there is ruined by God, where your eyes are opened up to the truth. And you see honestly. And in this moment, the grace and mercy of our God reaches down to Isaiah. And I pray even in this room today, it says in verse 6 that when one of the seraphim, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this, this has touched your lips right at the problem. Unclean lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Live coal represents the fact that we serve a, a God that is a consuming fire. Do you believe and do you know that, that there will be a day where this world will be consumed by fire and destroyed? Yes, it will. But he's a consuming fire. He either consumes the sin in our life or he consumes us.
If you remember the fiery pillar that led the Israelites through the desert, if you remember Mount Carmel, that fire fell from the sky, if you remember, um, uh, he is a consuming fire. Notice that it says, touching my mouth. The beautiful refining fire here is a picture of God's atonement hitting the center of the problem, the sin of the heart. And then atoned for. Atoned for, this is the Old Testament picture of the work of Christ did in, in his life and death. In his life, he was obedient to the Father in all things. He said, my food is to do the will of my Father. In death, he was our substitute. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You can't earn your way there. You can't make your way there. You can't educate your way there. It is only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And he is the atoning one. And notice that it says here that, um, that the guilt was taken away. His guilt was taken away. Guilty is the main, listen, Guilty is the main search engine of why you and I sin. It's behind every action that leads us to do things that are against God's will. If you are in this room today experiencing the effect of sin, I can honestly tell you that it is guilt that is driving you to continue to do it again and again. But it is the atonement of Christ taking our sin that removes guilt and causes all those who receive him to, uh, to all those who believe in him to be born again and to be changed. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Atonement affects everything with our heart. Are you born again? Are you? Well, Pastor Wayne, how do I know? What did Isaiah say? Then I heard a voice of the Lord in verse 8 said, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Atonement will always lead. Salvation will always lead. Being born again, being a new creation in Christ Jesus will always lead. B, I have a new agenda in this world. It's to live for Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what he calls me to do. Doesn't matter where he's calling me to go. I will do whatever he says. I don't need the security of this world. I have my security in Jesus Christ. And I will follow him. No matter what the cost. And God knows we need people like that today. We have too many people protecting themselves because what? We got a nice house. We got nice cars. We got nice stuff. I got to kind of protect. I I can't get real weird here. If your house is getting your way, sell it. If your car is getting in the way, sell it. Life is short. Jesus is coming back soon. Do you believe that? No, no. Do you believe that? Do you know that there's no generation in the face of this earth ever that could say Jesus is coming back soon more than you? 1948, Israel was reinstated as a nation. Never done in history, ever. God brought his people back to be a nation. But now we're seen working out in things all around us. And we're not going to get, you, you see, the, you hear the news. You trust the news? 
You feel you're being lied to at times? Is justice struggling in the street? Is honesty being destroyed? Absolutely. And so as we, as we come to this, I, I'm, I'm not going to take long. I'm going I'm to end this soon, but the, here it is. Notice what he's called to. Go to a people that be ever hearing but never understanding. Um, many churches today. Many churches today. Make the heart of these people calloused. Just one thing. I'm just when you get an opportunity to sing to the Lord, do you find yourself singing with all your hearts? I used to sing with this lady, played the guitar and in with her group. We used to sing with everything we were. Because we could. It is the redeemed that have a new song in their heart. It's those who know Jesus Christ that can't stop singing. He's the most amazing one we've ever known in our lives. And yet, aren't we living in an era where people's hearts are callous, where people don't seem to understand, where, where, their, where their ears seem to dull, their ears are dull and their eyes seem to be closed? Aren't we sleeping during messages? Aren't we, we come in here, what do we expect? Do we expect to see Jesus Christ when we walk into church? And if he came up here and stood before us, would he get the best of us? Or would, we, would he get this? Yeah. Prove us who you are. He is here. Raise your hand if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Get it up there. You follow Jesus, don't, don't just do it because you think you have it. You follow Jesus Christ. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, so am I in the midst of them. Jesus is here because you two are here. He's here because we're here together. He loves you. He has a plan and a purpose. He said, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. In the midst of rising prices in our, in our stores, in the midst of all the issues we're seeing, in the midst, listen to me, there has been no more, I mean, the hatred in this country is unbelievable. It's ridiculous. Just road rage. I can't. The other day I was flipped off. I was just passing a semi. And I guess I was going 70 the speed limit. That wasn't on uh, Byron Center Road. I, it was on the highway. But I was going 70, so I was going slow around, around the semi. This car goes on the inside of the semi, comes around. We come around almost at the same time. And he says, I'm number one. Why? Because there's a growing hatred in our world. There's a callousness that's coming over top of the land. And there's destruction coming. But like Isaiah, we've been called by God to go in and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. I don't care if they listen. I don't care if they like you. I don't care if, if you don't know how to do it well. 
Tell somebody. We're losing this country. Isaiah and Jeremiah saw this. They saw Israel falling, and, 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 and Jeremiah is a little, uh, was a little younger than, than uh, Isaiah, and so he actually saw the burning of Jerusalem. He actually saw it all come about, um, and that's a whole other sermon. I won't get into it. But it just, people of God, that is what's happening here. And we need revival in the land. We need people to start standing up and saying, I love Jesus Christ. And I will stand for him in schools, at workplaces, in retirement homes. You know, one of the places that people are not living their life out for Jesus Christ is in retirement homes. Like they, like they, oh, no, you don't agree with that? Or no, no, <laughs> we, we could get into some of the things. It was the Christian Reformed Church that, that uh, wrote an article about the fact that elderly people started living with each other. Not married, living with each other. Well, I say, wow, they're so old, they probably can't do that inappropriate stuff anyways. I don't care. Our God is a God of commitment. His son went to the cross. There's no compromise when it comes to committed relationships in Jesus Christ. And it's happening. And it's happening in retirement homes. People of God, it's time for revival. And it starts with you. How do I do this? Be like Isaiah. Let the Lord show himself to you for who he really is. Bow down before him. Repent of your sins. Turn from the compromise that, we, that you have in your life and say, my life is yours. I'll do whatever you want me to do, no matter what the cost. I'm on board. Sounds easy, but it's the most difficult thing because pride is a difficult thing. We see it here. We see even Isaiah needed this moment. How about you and me? How about you and me? Why don't we stand? Let's have a word of prayer together. Father in heaven, I just thank you for uh, tonight. I thank you for the privilege and honor to be in this place. I thank you, Lord, that your word is true and that it, that it is um, to warm and to, uh, Lord, challenge our hearts to look at our lives honestly. Nobody is too old and nobody is too young to respond to the movement of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that, Father, that even in this place, that, Father, our hearts will respond to you. Lord, um, let it not be a tragedy that has to come into our life to waken us up. Lord, let your... Uh, let your sovereignty reign over each one of our hearts, and may you find us on our face before you, crying out, Lord, for our families and for our friends and for the people that we work for, with and for, and for this nation that has turned its back on you. And Father, I pray that, uh, that Lord, your atonement will have an effect on our lives, that each one of us, whether young or old, will hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom Will we, who will go for us and whom will we send? And Lord, let my voice, let our voice, let the voice of this church say, here am I, send me. We need you desperately. We thank you and we love you. Bless the words that have been spoken. Bless the hearts that have received it. And may we, Lord, hear your voice tonight and move. We love you.
in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. 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 All right, we're going to sing.